Well, good morning. Yeah, it's great to be back. I almost feel like I'm coming home. Yeah. So, uh, wonderful to see you all again. And uh, I do have newsletters in the back. Um, So, uh, feel free to take one as you go out. Um, Also, uh, this church has been such a wonderful support to our ministry. I'd love to have you follow our ministry on a regular basis. So, if you are not getting our newsletter, uh, just sign up for it as you go out, and we'll make sure that it comes to you every month. So, appreciate that very much. Um, just a quick note concerning our satellite broadcasting that you saw as a part of our video. Our, our uh, mega city media campaigns. We've done 105 cities so far, but we're we can't do any right now because of COVID. But so so we're waiting as soon as as soon as. Countries open. We'll we'll begin with the Ukraine, and then and then Olan Batar, Mongolia, and then off to Thailand, and then Dakar, Senegal. So uh, that's yet to come. Um, but our satellite broadcasting into the Middle East happens every day in Finland. So every day we're doing programming. We we do pro, uh, a thousand programs a year in Arabic, Farsi, and and Amharic which is the primary language of Ethiopia. And these, these programs are uplinked every day to 16 satellite networks that uh, are reaching all of the Middle East, from Morocco to Pakistan, okay? And, and, and uh, the, the amazing thing is we're, we're having, we know we're having millions of viewers, but beyond the viewers, we're, we're having amazing response as far as people responding to our ministry. We have 200,000 responses a month. Um, and now since COVID, that's increased to 250 to 300,000 people a month are responding to our ministry. We have offices now in Egypt that the U.S. side of the ministry pays for uh, with 16 full-time workers. And they're doing all the follow-up throughout all the Middle East, all the way into Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Morocco, um, all over the Middle East. And so, so we're very, very grateful for this continued ministry every day, every day, every day, going into areas uh, of the world that it's almost impossible uh, to go as missionaries. So praise be unto God, you're a part of that. Thank you so much. God bless you for that. Uh, this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, I preached on 1 Peter chapter 1 the last time I was here, uh, but I didn't like it very well. Uh, so, so I, I, I redid this message. <laughs> so we're going to do a redo this morning. And uh, I hope it's a blessing to you uh, and that God will use it in your life, uh, in, in my life as well, in all of our lives. So 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, are, who, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuine, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise 
and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this church that have become friends of mine and friends to our ministry. We're grateful for that. We pray, God, that you will use your word this morning to speak to our hearts today, God. I pray that, God, we would have ears to hear your word and we invite the precious Holy Spirit to take the word of God and minister it effectively and powerfully in our hearts today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, so, so, so Peter says we've been born again. How many have been born again? <laughs> yeah, amen. Praise be unto God. So, so he says we've been born again to something. We've been born again to a living hope. We've been born again to anticipation, which which really defines uh, an expectation uh, of, 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 uh, that, that looks to the future with joy. Hope is expectation that looks to the future with joy. Okay? He calls it a living hope. A hope that does not die. A hope that does not dissipate. A hope that does not have a shelf life. A hope that is not weakened a hope that is not impacted by our human condition, a living hope. Now, who is Peter talking to? Peter is talking to a group of people, probably about 64 to 67 AD, all right? He's talking to exiles. He's talking to people who probably at one time were living in Jerusalem, but now are 700 miles north of Jerusalem, all the way up to the Black Sea area, um, uh, it's an area that, that we know now to be northern Turkey, but back then it was Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia. And, 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 and Peter uh, actually lists these groups of people that he's talking to in this area, just on the border of the North Sea, the south end of the North Sea. These people were persecuted Christians. They had come to this part of the world, not, not out of joy or desire to move to another place, but because they were being persecuted. And they left uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, and ended up in this part of the world. And Acts chapter 8 actually begins the story. And Saul approved of the execution of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then, interestingly enough, Acts chapter 8 goes on, uh, Acts chapter 11, excuse me, goes on from that and, and tells us, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to the Jews. So, so here, we see that, that people are moving further and further and further away from Jerusalem. And God is dispersing the body of Christ all over the world to preach the gospel. It's wonderful, but difficult. 
okay? It's a time of persecution. So this, they're not, they're not going through a fun time. They're not on a vacation at the North Sea. They're, they're going through very, very difficult times. And so um, it's interesting to me that in Acts chapter 16, it reveals to us that Paul was close to this area and it was logical to him that he would actually go to this area of Bithynia. But Acts chapter 16 says that the Holy Spirit forbade him. He felt the check of the Holy Spirit concerning going up into that area. It didn't make sense. Well, we know now, of course, what happened is that Paul experienced the Macedonian call to go to another area to preach the gospel. But God was not abandoning these people. God was going to use these Christians who were traveling 700 miles north from Jerusalem. He was going to use them to present the gospel in that part of the world. So this, in passing, this, this just tells us something. The need is not the call. Was there a great need in that part of the country? Yes. Paul saw that. Paul wanted to go there. But the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to do something else. <clears throat> I asked myself the question. I did it this morning as I was kind of reviewing this message this morning. I asked you the question this morning. Are we open to be checked by the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Are we open to allow the Holy Spirit to say, you know, what seems logical to you as far as what you should be doing isn't what you should be doing, but God has something else for you to do? I pray that would be so. Lord, we just pray right now that you will help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, God, that we would not be just kind of barreling ahead with our agenda, doing what we think we should be doing, but may we literally be spirit-led in our life. God, I want to be spirit-led. I don't want to just simply do what I think I should be doing and, 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 and making those things happen on my own, but God, I want to be led by your Spirit as Paul was led by your Spirit. May that be true in all of our lives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So, living hope, a hope that does not die, a hope that is not impacted by human condition. Anticipation with joy. Does this really work? I mean, are we, are we just whistling in the dark? You know, I, I mean, is this... Is this real stuff, or, or are we just talking about something that sounds theologically correct? Does it work? I'll give you a few illustrations. Does it work when a 33-year-old young pastor with two children, a 29-year-old wife, uh, dies from kidney failure and leaves a 29-year-old wife and, and a, a, a daughter that's eight and a son that's four? I was that son. Does it work then? Does it work when, when a young couple has been waiting to become pregnant and they finally become pregnant and they're having a baby and they're all excited about it and nine months comes and, and the baby is born and, and the baby is born with only a brain stem and, and I as pastor walk into the room and, and they hand me the baby and say, please dedicate our little baby to the Lord because she only has two hours to live. Does it work then? Anticipation with joy then? Does it, does it work when, when the stock market crashes or your business goes belly up or you lose your job? 
Does it, does it work if you're living in a country like Iran or China or, or North Korea as a Christian, where there are 50 to 70,000 Christians today in labor camps? Does it work then? Does it work if there's no COVID cure? <laughs> does it work if World War III happens and, 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 and China attacks Taiwan and all of a sudden the world is turned upside down? Does it work then? It does. It does, because hope is not based on human circumstance. Hope is not based on the reality of what we experience in the physical realm. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that God doesn't give us these principles that sound good but don't work. Where does it come from? What is the source of living hope? Bob Goff um, is a Christian attorney. He's, he's got a great sense of humor. Um, wrote the, a, a book called Love Does. And uh, in that book, this is what he says. Sometimes God lets us lose hope for a moment. So we'll retrace our steps and find him all over again. You see, hope is, is not found in what happens to us externally. Hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul proclaims in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I could almost hear Paul shouting it, Jesus Christ is our hope. He says it again in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we have our hope set on the living God. Praise be unto God. So we have these two polar opposites that are complementary in Romans 12 where it says, rejoice in hope. <laughs> rejoice in anticipation with joy and be patient in tribulation. So Paul puts those two things together. Hope and tribulation are not, are not opposites that are never connected Paul says they can both happen at exactly the same moment. You can be going through very, very difficult times, and you may be today. But at the same time, that circumstance in life need not rob you from your hope. Amen. Praise be unto God. Corey Ten Boom uh, lived during World War II. She and her sister and her father owned a clock shop in Holland and and uh, at the same time, they had a false wall in their house. Many of you have, uh, know her story. And, and they were hiding Jews during World War II from, from being taken to concentration camps. It was discovered. The clock shop was, was shut down by the Nazis. And, uh, and, and all three of them were taken to concentration camps. The father died. Her sister died. And Corey Ten Boom lived through that horrible experience. Following that, she traveled all over the world. And I don't know if you've ever heard Corey Ten Boone. I've heard her just speak, not in person, but, but by, um, it was by tape back then. But, but in any case, um, she had an amazing way of speaking uh, profound truth in simple terms. How many can relate to that? I I, I love simple terms, <laughs> you know. And, and so this is what she said. If you look to the world, you will be distressed. 
How many have been a little distressed of late? <laughs> if you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. <laughs> you know, how many have discovered that na navel gazing doesn't work very well? <laughs> you know, we keep looking within. It, it just, you know, that, that doesn't help you. you. You will be depressed if you look within too much. But if you look to Jesus, you will be at rest. If you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Jesus, you will be at rest. Living hope. What is it? It's a supernatural gift. It's God's gift to you. It's not something that you pull yourself up. I'm going to have hope. I'm going to have hope. No, it's something that comes upon you. It's something that God gives to you. It's God's grace for you. It's God's supernatural anchor to you in your personal storm. That's why in Philippians chapter 4, Paul defines peace as beyond human understanding. Peter de de defines joy in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 as, as something that's inadequate for words. Why? Because it's something that isn't comes from within, it comes from without. God gives it to us. God gives us hope. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. And for that reason, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, according to to his great mercy. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. Okay, so this is all God. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter said, if you want hope, focus on the resurrection. The resurrection is more than a theological reality. The resurrection is something more than, than something we, we uh, celebrate on Easter Sunday once a year. And so we think about the resurrection once a year. I would encourage you to think about the resurrection every day. <laughs> because the resurrection of Jesus Christ will give you hope, will give you hope. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ does not raise, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Those who died in Christ have perished. But in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead. It is the, it's the very center of our hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me, let me just remind you quickly here, okay? Jesus and the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas comes with, with the high priest and the high priest servant and, and Roman soldiers and, 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 and temple guards. They've come to arrest Jesus. Judas does this treasonous, treasonous kiss to Jesus and they rush to take Jesus. And as, 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 as they're rushing to take Jesus, Peter takes out his sword and he, and he slashes and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant by the name of Malchus. In the midst of the confusion, Jesus picks up the ear, probably blows the dirt off of the ear and heals Malchus in the midst of all that confusion. 
I think the reason we know Malchus's name is because obviously as you would become, he became a follower of Christ at that moment. False charges, horrific beating, Isaiah 52 and 53 makes clear to us that the, that the beating of Christ made his physical appearance be such that he was beat more than any man. I, I mean, that's beyond comprehension, isn't it? He's taken to be crucified. A man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. Where was Cyrene? Northern Libya, about 500 miles away. He and his two sons, Alexander and Rufus, had come to Jerusalem to enjoy the, the Passover. There was a special synagogue in Jerusalem for the Cyrenian Jews. And he had come to enjoy the Passover. That's why he was there. And he walks into Jerusalem and he sees this big crowd and this person being led away to be crucified. And he's standing, observing all of this. And all of a sudden, he's grabbed by Roman soldiers out of the crowd and he's taken to carry the cross of Christ. It's interesting to me that in the book of Romans, Paul actually mentions Simon's son, Rufus. I'm sure they all became followers of Christ following all, all of this. How many of you guys would have loved being the one chosen to carry the cross of Christ? What, a, what an honor, huh? What a privilege. I'm sure years later, as he thought back on that, he thought, man, I was the only one. I wonder, I wonder if there were any words spoken between them. I wonder if it was maybe just a look Jesus gave to him a look of appreciation that he was carrying his cross. Jesus is crucified. On the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't that beautiful? Praise be unto God. The thief next to him turns to him and says amazing words of revelation. He says, today, he says, he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Where did he get that? Jesus didn't look like somebody who had a kingdom. He looked like a man that was unrecognizable on the cross that was dying alongside of him. The only way that could ever have come to that man was by divine revelation. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turns to him and says, I'm sorry, I didn't get a chance to baptize you. You didn't follow me. No, 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 he didn't say that, did he? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Praise be unto God. Jesus says, I thirst. They give him sour wine to drink. He cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know why. It was because of me. It was because of you. It was because of our rebellion, our sin, our going, going our own way. Jesus took upon himself the sin of us all. Can we say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Praise be unto God. Jesus says it is finished. And all of a sudden there is darkness and there's an earthquake, and tombs are opened, 
and the curtain in the temple is rent in two. Jesus is into your hands. I commit my spirit. And he dies. And the thief dies. And Jesus reveals that there's this area that was then known as paradise and Hades that were separated by a gulf. And Jesus takes the thief with him and he goes to paradise and he preaches to those who are in Hades. It's kind of an interesting reality that we see in the scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3. After three days, Jesus is risen from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the resurrection of Christ was so immense at that very moment that there were, there were as the scripture says, there were saints, there were Christians, there were followers of Christ who had died, who were in some of these tombs that had opened that were risen from the dead. Can you imagine if you had buried Uncle George some days previous and you're sitting at home with your family over dinner and all of a sudden Uncle George walks in? <laughs> it's a mystery. We, we don't know too much more about it but the fact that Uncle George <laughs> rose from the dead <laughs> along with Jesus because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mary sees Jesus in the garden and Jesus says, don't touch me, I haven't yet gone to my father, which tells us that Jesus at that point had a spiritual body like the transfiguration, like Moses and Elijah had. He did not yet have a glorified body. Don't touch me, I haven't yet gone to the father. So what happens? Jesus goes back and down into paradise, according to Ephesians chapter four and verse 18. And he takes all of the Old Testament saints with him and he goes into the very presence of God. Can you imagine what that looked like? Just, just picture that with your imagination. Jesus now is the victorious Christ. He is risen from the dead. He is victorious over death, sin, hell, and the grave. He is victorious over it all. He has all of the Old Testament saints with him. And he's coming into the presence of God where there are millions of angels. It was not silent it was the loudest heaven had ever been. At that very moment, as the risen Christ returned home, claiming victory. Let me, let me read Revelation chapter five, because I believe Revelation chapter five, even though it is yet a future event, I believe it is an expression of what was probably said when Jesus entered heaven at that moment. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, uh, millions of angels saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Hallelujah! What a moment that was! <laughs> what a time that was! My goodness! Jesus says, I'll be right back. He comes back to earth, reveals himself to his 12 disciples, but not just them. No, no, no. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, I'm sure. Joseph of, 
Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, I'm sure. Simon of Cyrene, more than likely. Many others. Over 40 days, he reveals himself at one point to 500 people at one time. So, so many, many, many people saw the resurrected Christ. The affirmation of that. Jesus then confirms the disciples with the great task of proclaiming the gospel to the whole world. He ascends into heaven. The disciples watch him go into heaven. And they keep watching. And there's two angels standing beside them. They keep watching. And they keep watching. And now they're not seeing Jesus anymore. But they keep watching. They keep looking in, into the sky. And finally, the angels are tired of this. And they said, why do you guys keep looking up in the sky? This same Jesus who you've seen go into heaven will so come in like manner. The resurrection, what does it give us? It gives us H-O-P-E. It gives us hope. When you think about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it puts life in perspective. All right? So we need to give our focus, our attention to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise be unto God. Let me read a story, okay? I'm going to take time to do this because it's so powerful. Max Licato wrote this, all right? It's called The Story's Not Over Yet. And this connects this to why the resurrection for us speaks to us over and over and over again. The message of Easter is clear. The story is not over yet. We haven't heard the punchline. We haven't finished the battle. Don't be premature in your judgments or too final in your opinion. The judge hasn't returned and the jury isn't in. The story isn't over yet. All that needs to be said hasn't been said. All that will be seen hasn't been seen. That's good news. If your eyes have ever moistened at the newsreels of the hungry, remember, the story's not over yet. If you've ever been bewildered as you beheld pain triumph over peace, keep the Easter message in mind. The story's not over yet. If you've ever found your fists clenched in rage as you read of the atrocities at Auschwitz, I've got something to show you. If you stood distraught as you hear stories of yet another hijacking, another serial murderer, another child beating, this is a verse I want you to consider. Or perhaps your feelings are more personal. Maybe the ugly moments in history and open wounds of our day have dared to leave your television screen and enter your house. Maybe you've buried a child whose body was broken by a reckless driver. Maybe your child has never called you daddy. Maybe the one who promised to love you forever loved you for only as long as it was convenient. Maybe you've suffered personally from the cruelties of the world. Maybe the shadow of the question mark has blackened your door. Maybe you've asked why. The rain on the just, on the unjust, I can understand. But why the just? To suffer the consequences of my sin makes sense. But why should I pay for the sins of others? Why the innocent? Why the children? Why the pure? Why me? 
Hard questions, necessary questions, questions surfaced by a perplexing passage in Matthew. Is there any passage in scripture bloodier than the killing of the children by the soldiers of Herod? Though not specifically described, its bloody footprints are left between the lines of these verses. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave the order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, and in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's a grisly scene, horses galloping, mothers with small boys running and screaming, the flashing of weapons, the flow of innocent blood, the sudden stillness of tiny hands, mothers clutching lifeless bodies to blood-soaked breasts. It's a scene of swords piercing the innocent, no justification, no explanation, just cruel carnage, a senseless slaughter. And during it all, a fat king sits on a throne less than 10 miles away, blind to the tears he is summoned, deaf to the anguish he has caused. Herod drinks the wine, the color of the blood he is spilling. The wail heard in Bethlehem echoes through the stars, a chorus of chaos refusing to be comforted, a thousand tears with one voice. Why? The composer of this chaos watches from a nearby mountain with each flash of the sword he claps, with each plunger, plunge of the dagger he gloats, evil at its worst, blackness at its darkest. This madman sheds no tears for the young dead. He is intent on only one thing, killing the Christ before he leaves the cradle. And when the ravage is completed and the madman knows he has failed, he curses, swirls around, and returns to his pit. Thirty years later, the other moment for which Satan has waited arrives. He is repeating his drama of desolation. Once again, he is slaughtering, slaughtering the innocent. Once again, swords flash and feet scamper. Once again, a spineless king called Herod, his pawn in the play. Once again, there are tears of a mother who wonders why. Once again, flesh is torn. Once again, there are cries of anguish. Once again, Satan is trying to kill life itself. This time, he has him where he wants him. God on the cross, the one who escaped him in Bethlehem is bolted to a tree. Satan applauds as the skin is ripped. This time you won't get away. A spear breaks through Jesus' ribs. Once again, the innocent is pierced. I have done it. The mass mad dances amidst the demons. I have won. But the claim is premature for the crucified one who descends the spiral stairway into the cavern of death is not defeated, is not a defeated Messiah. And he has not come to surrender. Far from it. He is a creator and he has come to reclaim his own. He has come to storm the gates of death. He scatters the demons. He rips open the prison doors. He takes captivity captive. He frees the faithful. And you can be sure of one thing. Among the voices that sing his welcome are his Bethlehem brothers. They died that he might escape. He has now died that they might escape. They died that he might live. And now he's returned to return the favor. The Easter, the Easter announcement is clear. Victory is secure. 
Wales of Bethlehem will turn into the victories of Calvary. Don't forget that. The next time the soldiers of Satan steal joy from your arms, the next time your prayers seem to float into a silent sky, the next time you wonder how God could sit still while the innocent suffer, remember the story's not over yet. Remember the Easter Jesus rescued the imprisoned. And remember he is, he is coming to do it again. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, okay, I got a few more minutes. All right. So, hope, because of the resurrection. (laughs) Living hope, because of the resurrection. But, But Peter doesn't stop there, does he? He says, he says, we not only have a living hope because of the resurrection, but he says, let me read it for you. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and that is unfading, kept in heaven for you. So hope resides upon us when we look back to the resurrection. Hope resides upon us when we look forward to heaven and to our inheritance in heaven. No wonder Jesus encouraged us in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 to pray, your kingdom come. I try to pray that every day. I prayed it this morning. Why? Because it brings back our focus to the reality Jesus is coming again. Amen? Jesus is coming again. And, 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 and the scripture makes clear that not only is heaven your home, but God has also prepared an inheritance for you. An inheritance for you. No wonder 1 Corinthians 2 says, my eye that that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. (laughs) You have no idea. Praise be unto God. It's better than publisher's clearinghouse. Yeah, it's better than $1,000 a day, right? God has prepared something for you reserved in heaven. The stock market's not going to change it. huh? Your 401k isn't going to change it. Your lost job isn't going to change it. You have an inheritance in heaven. In fact, Romans 8 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Great. But more than that, joint heirs with Christ. Jesus says to you, Jesus says to Dave Ogren, you deserve nothing. I'm going to give you everything. Everything that belongs to me, I'm going to share it with you. Praise be unto God. Praise be unto God. So we do two things. We, we look back to the resurrection and we look forward to heaven. 
And I encourage you to do both every day. Look back and look forward. Every day, look back, look forward. Number three, we not only look back to the resurrection, we not only look forward to, the res- to, to, to our, 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 our home in heaven, but we also look into the scripture. All right? We look into the scripture. Romans 15, verse four. Whatever was written in former days were written for our instruction that through two things, that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have H-O-P-E, hope. Hope comes to you through the word of God. You and I ignore the word of God at our own peril. Every day, every day, you can have hope because you look back to the resurrection, because you look forward to heaven, and because you look into the scripture. If you will look back, look forward, and look in, you will have hope. Every day, every day. I love the words of a song by Hillsong. It's a, it's a song called Your Word is Revelation. Before the earth knew its foundations, you spoke the dust into creation until the end when all is withered. Then still your word will endure forever. The lamp unto my feet, the light unto my path. Your word will not be shaken. Your word will never fail me like a fire in my bones, like a whisper to my soul. Your word is revelation. Hallelujah. The power of the word of God. How many times have all of us been going through times of darkness and difficulty and all of a sudden the word of God speaks life and hope and future every day. Look back to the resurrection. Look forward to the coming of Christ. Look into the scripture. And lastly, I'm right on time. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope, may the God of hope, isn't that a beautiful term? Huh? God identifies him. Paul identifies God as the God of hope. The God that causes us to look forward with joy. (laughs) May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of of the Spirit, you may abound in hope. (laughs) So where does hope come from? It comes when we look back to the resurrection. It comes as we look forward to heaven and to our inheritance in heaven. It comes as we look into the scripture and it comes as we look up to the Holy Spirit who will cause you, who will enable you, no matter what your human condition may be, to abound in hope. Jesus said in Luke 11, if a natural father will give good gifts to his children, how much more, how much more Will your heavenly Father give his Holy Spirit to whom? There you go. It's not to those who are perfect. It's not to those who've got it all together. 
Not to those who've never made a mistake, but to those who ask. How often should you ask? Every day. (laughs) When was the last time you asked that the Holy Spirit would come upon you? All right? Ask every day. So what do we do? We look back to the resurrection. We look forward to the return of Christ. We daily look into the word and we daily say, Holy Spirit, come upon me. And the result is that every day, every day, every day, every day, you can walk in H-O-P-E. Hope. (laughs) Amen? Stand with me. We're going to sing. Right? All right. But before we sing, I want to just, I just want to say this to you as a benediction this morning, and then I'm done. I'd like you to raise your hands to the Lord. And I'm just going to proclaim over you today. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Spirit, you, yes, you and me would abound in hope. Hallelujah. Thank you for your resurrection today. Thank you, Lord, for our home in heaven. Thank you for the power of your word. And thank you for the precious Holy Spirit. And I pray that even as we sing, as we close this service this morning, I pray that the presence of the Holy Spirit would come upon each and every one of us. And I pray that every day we would pray, Holy Spirit, come upon me all over again today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. God bless you.